Hello and welcome. I'm Sean Yeager, and this is Penny Lane, a show about the business, economics, and technology of music streaming presented by TrueStream. Along with Matt Squire, we're your hosts. To learn more about Penny Lane and past episodes, visit us at truestream.co slash podcast. That's T-R-U-S-T-R-E-A-M dot C-O slash podcast. It's October 29th, 2018. And we're delighted to have you joining us for our first episode of the podcast. And we could not be happier to have, as our first guest, Chris Castle. Chris is a renowned attorney working at the nexus of the music industry, digital media, and public policy. Chris founded Chris Castle Attorneys in 2005, originally in Los Angeles, but he's called Austin, Texas home since 2011. He works with clients ranging from artists, songwriters, and producers to app developers and startups in areas including artist rights, licensing, valuation, and litigation. Chris serves on the Industry Advisory Council for the UCLA Center for Music Innovation at the UCLA Herb Albert School of Music. He's testified and spoken on artist rights before the UK Parliament, National Association of Attorneys General, and many more. Prior to founding his firm, Chris was Senior Vice President and General Counsel to Snowcap in San Francisco, that's the company that launched Napster, as well as being of counsel to several blue chip law firms in the Valley and Los Angeles. Before that, he was Senior Vice President Business Affairs at Sony Music in New York and VP of Business Affairs at A&M Records in Hollywood. Welcome, Chris, to Penny Lane. Thank you, guys. Chris, it's been less than three weeks since the Music Modernization Act was signed into law. It's a whirlwind process. Uh, anyone who has been following knows uh, there were many ups and downs, and there's been a great deal of information floating around and perhaps even more open questions. What I'd like to know, Chris, is you know, your take on how the landscape has now shifted, and to the best of anybody's knowledge, what comes next? <laughs> well, um, the short answer is... Um, Nothing's changed yet, um, except that we're about to launch into a long series of uh, regulations now, which will implement the legislation. So the way this usually works with the Congress is um, they pass a a bill, a statute, uh, when it becomes law, that um, has to one degree or another um, detail about what they want to see happen in a particular area. In this case, there's a lot of different areas, but uh, in order to actually implement the law, in other words, give it some some flesh on the bones and and, uh, give some um, guidance and authority um, to to implement the the details of the law, uh, they leave that to the Copyright Office, in this case, to issue regulations. Now, the Copyright Office is an interesting um, kind of um, artifact in that it is a pre-New Deal agency. Uh, it has no enforcement power. When you, when you talk about regulations, most people think of the EPA or um, something like that, uh, an executive branch agency that has executive branch enforcement powers. The Copyright Office has no enforcement powers and is actually a legislative branch agency um, because it started out um, well over 100 years ago as part of the Library of Congress, of all things, where it has stayed. This makes absolutely no sense. And the Copyright Office is really, in many ways, ill-suited to um, enforcing regulations. As a matter of fact, 
they're so ill-suited to enforcing regulations they don't enforce regulations uh, so really what they're doing is they're uh, offering guidelines to uh, people who may ultimately end up suing each other and most of the actual implementation of copyright law is done in the courts by private litigants occasionally and very occasionally there is a criminal copyright infringement case uh, but that's about it. So um, it not not very often does the mma help with with that kind of a problem does it hurt uh is it change what how does um the mma which creates a new uh mechanical licensing collective does does that help that situation at all well, remember what it actually does. So, so remember the, the MMA, when we talk about the MMA, most people are talking about uh, the mechanical licensing collective you just identified, right? There's actually multiple parts to the MMA. So for our purposes, we're going to talk about uh, the collective, I guess, which is uh, in Title I of the bill. It does a few other things too, but... Um, the mechanical licensing collective is probably where most of the regulations are going to occur. Um, because the government is essentially creating the first blanket license in the history of the United States, um, it is also delegating its authority to a private organization, um, which is referred to generally as the Mechanical Licensing Collective. That's to be a nonprofit uh, corporation uh, with a board and various subboards um, that some of which are identified in the statute itself and some of which may end up being identified in uh, the bylaws of the actual organization and are not mandated by statute. For example, um, there's nothing in the statute about uh, the budget or the um, business plan of the organization that is called the Mechanical Licensing Collective. Uh, the corporations and LLCs and various business organizations operate uh, with a series of committees as a general rule. It's, for example, a compensation committee. Um, someone's going to have to get paid to run the MLC, as it's called. Um, there's nothing in the statute that says how much that person should earn, how many of those salaried positions there might be, um, or anything of that nature. So, or, or recruiting people for those jobs, or anything of that. And, and on sort. that note, Chris, what, what's um, your for those of our listeners that you know at the end of the day, they're they're songwriters, they're artists, they're publishers, and the like. What is could you could you block out for us again to the degree that anyone is is. Um, is able to foresee this, but from your standpoint, what do the next six months, 12 months look like? And materially, what should we see sort of come out of this, this soup uh, that, that, that is the MMA and all the associated uh, regulations and, and bodies? Well, there's going to be there right now, I guess, I guess the first thing that's going to happen by around uh, January 6th, I think, is the deadline people who want to be the mechanical licensing collective because it's supposedly kind of a beauty contest in front of the uh copyright office where various people who want to be the 
uh, collective who wants to form that organization and run it uh, submit their bona fides to uh, the copyright office, including the names of people who will serve on their various boards, because there's some statutorily created management boards and also uh, things like uh, unmatched royalty um, committees and things of this nature. And those statutory created roles are probably going to have to have nominees attached to them uh, when the MLC candidate files their paperwork. So that's probably the first thing. So we could, it sounds like we can call that governance, broadly speaking. That's the first major stage. Yeah. Well, statutory governance, statutory governance. Right. And then the next thing that's going to happen after that, I would guess, is uh, there's going to have to be some negotiation between the um, MLC so designated and the digital licensee coordinator, which is a role that is often overlooked in this process, but is probably even more important than the MLC. And what is this function? So the digital licensee coordinator is the person, um, and I would bet that that person is going to end up being the current head of DEMA, um, the Digital Media Association, because this is all, you know, very uh, inside the beltway kind of stuff um, with all these roles. Uh, because God, God forbid that. Will you let us know if that's a conflict as well as you illuminate that position? <laughs> yeah, well. Um, there's no shortage of potential conflicts in this whole thing. Um, so, um, you know, the, what you would think you would want to do is you'd want to get people on this who were experienced in royalty accounting and, um, and database structuring, um, which is probably going to be the key role of the MLC. But, um, the, I haven't seen anyone show up yet. Uh, who's got that kind of experience. I mean, I'm sure they'll probably show up eventually, but there's not anybody I'm aware of who's being talked about for the management uh, of this thing that, uh, that actually fulfills those roles. So on the, on the, but back to the digital licensee coordinator, that company, that person is going to represent all of the um, blanket licensees. So people who have opted in, or requested um, a blanket license. And so uh, examples in, of that would uh, under be? The, under the statute. So, so those are, right now, the ones we know of, are Apple, Google, Amazon, Spotify, probably Rhapsody, and um, am I forgetting anyone? No, I don't think so. I think that's, I think that's it um, pan- for now. Is, that so, pan- is Pandora? Possibly, yeah. Pandora, well, for the subscription service, right? right? Exactly. Because remember, the, the, the blanket, we ought to probably say this, the blanket license that's covered by this uh, MLC and, and the statute, the MMA, uh, is for non, or, or is for interactive streaming. Right. right. So it would right. be that arm, so of that, Pan, that arm of Pandora. Yeah. As compared to webcasting, which is supposedly non-interactive streaming. Right. That's a story for another day. But the um, so so you can see right there that the the DLC as it's called the digital licensing coordinator represents um, all probably the top 
two or three uh, companies uh, in commercial history in terms of market cap. Amazon has a trillion dollar market cap, depending on the day of the week. Um, you know, Google, obviously not there yet, but very close. Um, Apple, richest company in the world. So you ha- when you compare the people who are being represented by the DLC to the people who are being represented by the MLC, um, the aggregate market cap of all the publishers on the MLC is probably about equivalent to the paperclip and staples mm-hmm. budget at all the companies who are represented. And on if the I follow, right. so if I follow a, Chris, what's interesting to me out of this, uh, and, and certainly I'm, I'm, we're paying close attention but learning more every day, is if I understand you correctly, the DLC is an individual, a position. Correct. Uh, and, and yet the MLC yeah. is an entity, a body. And so, to your point, yes. the licensees are represented by an individual, the licensor body. Yeah, although there will be, um, I'm sure there will be some sort of committee structure uh, behind behind that the, DLC. Uh, DLC. Got it. It's just yeah. not in the gotcha. not in the statute. Got it. And of course, the punchline with the DLC is that the services that are represented by the DLC people who take the blanket license are supposed to pay for the costs of, of operating the MLC, right? Um, and that is, I, I think, in the first instance, uh, hopefully a negotiated budget and uh, where they seek agreement. Uh, but whether they agree or not, um, and of course, at this stage of the game, it's hard to know what they agree on because nobody has submitted a budget or a business plan for any aspect of the MLC, at least not publicly. So it's hard to know exactly what they're going to be paying for and how much they're going to be paying. And Chris, so is it, is it fair that, to say that the, the give and the get is that the licensees, the, the digital service providers in this case, uh, are funding the MLC and, and, and the basic exchange there is indemnification? Well, that's one thing. Yeah, that's that's one thing. Could you um, could you expand on that a little bit but, and what that means? Yeah. Well, so the um, well, let me, let me get to that sure. in just a second. I'll, we'll, we'll definitely we'll definitely cover that. So the the main asset that the, and this gets sort of ties up the interaction between the statute, the regulations, the budget, and a new actor here, the copyright royalty judges, right? Because Whenever I have a question about what to do with startups and what's the best, the smartest way to move forward in the venture capital world, I always think of the copyright royalty judges as the first people that I would ever want to talk to about this. Right. So the when the when the budget is finalized or or can't be finalized, either the the final budget if they're agreed or the negotiating positions of um, the DLC and the MLC are submitted to the copyright royalty judges uh, for um, adjudication or approval, right? And that's how it becomes part of the law. So when you have when you have that hanging over your head, right, with the understanding that that decision can be appealed uh, to the DC Circuit, just like any other. Um, royalty decision of the copyright royalty judges who are the ones who set the webcasting royalties, for example, and the various statutory royalties that we have for songwriters or artists. Um, When you consider that that can be appealed, you could be looking at 
anywhere from you know two to three or four years before this is all finally resolved on the first budget for the simple reason that um, no one agreed what that budget should be before they passed this law. And so and if what, I hear you say what, so what happens what happens during that right it, it, let's say there is this big lag time, this big wait time, what what um Again, for our listeners who are artists, producers, writers, people who depend on royalty payments for their income, is there an effect on royalty payments during that limbo interim period while they're working all this stuff out? Well, during the first two years, there's, there's, there's this thing called the license availability date, which is a date that everybody should be aware of. Uh, which has a, um, a kind of a greater than type function or calculation, but ends up being January 1st, 2021. Now we know what the date is. Um, so as of January 1st, 2021, the MLC is supposed to take over accounting for um, the blanket license during that period between now and then the services are supposed to continue accounting uh, and use their reasonable efforts to find people who they can't identify, bearing in mind that they've been filing tens of millions of um, notices with the copyright office saying that they can't find people like Ed Sheeran, for example. And so the, right. quickly, the take, the quickly the takeaway here is business as usual until January 2021. Maybe. Well, except, <laughs> except, yeah. except, except for the fact that the copyright office has said that they're going to stop taking NOIs effective uh, two weeks ago. Yes. Yeah. So, so there's, there's going to, so in other words, the, the, the real question here is when the MLC takes over royalty accounting, one thing I feel certain about is that the services will definitely stop because what will happen, what they do then is they send one check to the MLC. They send state, uh, a transaction file probably, or some record of the transactions, the usage, uh, to the MLC. And then after that, they're out. So I can't imagine that they would give that up and just continue to account if, for example, the MLC were not ready to to issue statements and payments uh, on the January 1st, 2021. Now, if they're not ready and the services do pay the money over to the MLC and don't give them an extension of some kind, um, then the royalty paint since the certain since the MLC might it, it let's just assume if the MLC can make the payments then there should be a short transition um, which could probably be bumpy no matter what but hopefully will not be that long right uh, bearing in mind that there's little tasks like um, uh, getting a W9 for everybody who they have to pay royalties to uh, because I believe, anyway, that they would have to get a new W-9 because the MLC would now be the payor. So I think that has to be done, and that's literally thousands, if not millions, of NOIs or uh, W-9s that they'd have to get. So there's Absolutely. there's lots of reasons that have nothing to do with simply dropping the ball that, that the MLC might not quite be ready to pay um, when they're supposed to. But if they're not ready to pay and the services don't agree to keep paying, in the in what would then be the normal course um, and give them an extension then those royalty payments will drop to zero 
although the royalties theoretically will be at the MLC in some kind of black box account or escrow account. Now, I should point out <clears throat> that the only the way it appears anyway in the statute is that the people who have direct deals with the services, which are not necessarily just the big publishers, but would certainly include the big publishers, um, uh, will be paid normally under their contracts. So if you're a songwriter who's signed to, let's say, Sony TV, then you're going to get paid no matter what, right? Uh, and of course, one of the things that was interesting to me was when you had a lot of songwriters protesting about the MMA. When I looked at those names, they all looked like people who were signed to major publishers who wouldn't be affected by this one way or another. And right? so let, yes, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's underscore that, Chris. So for, for those individuals with those direct deals via their publishers or otherwise, there is, to your knowledge, no net uh, effect or difference under the MMA? That's right. Yeah, they're going to they're going to continue to get paid by their publishers, and their publishers are going to continue to collect directly from the services. And that would also be true, I think, uh, although this kind of remains to be seen, of um, people who had um, what you might call uh, modified compulsory licenses um, from the Harry Fox agency, because that's also a voluntary agreement. Right. I mean, the typical Fox license starts with the words, you know, this license incorporates by reference all the provisions of the Copyright Act in Section 115, which is the one that's being modified by the MMA. Right. Except as follows. Right. And the except as follows are the terms that Fox gives to the licensee, the user of the music uh, that are what makes it voluntary. So, in other words, your fo typical Fox license would be. You pay the full statutory rate, but instead of having to pay it monthly, which is what you'd have to pay under the compulsory license, um, you would pay it quarterly, and then you would give Fox an audit right. <clears throat> Excuse me. So that makes it a voluntary agreement. Therefore, it's possible that all of the Fox licenses that Fox issued um, as a publishing administrator, as opposed to a clearance company for Spotify, right, um, The all the licenses they issued as a publishing administrator would uh, continue on and, and they, the services would continue to pay Fox. So you start, when you start eliminating those groups, you're getting into a very narrow group, or, or I shouldn't say very narrow, but much narrower group of songs, particularly when compared to revenue, right? So basically what you've got here is you've got the MLC looking like they are going to be stuck with the low revenue, high transaction, uh, high cost, uh, in other words, of accounting uh, songs and all of the high revenue uh, songs that kind of help to amortize the cost of operations, um, you know, will be... Uh, outside of the MLC. Very interesting. And and Chris, is it your belief or do you have a perspective on, was that by design? Was that an oversight? I mean, if we step back and we think of, in this case, the MLC as a traditional business, um, what I hear you say is they're sort of stuck with the low margin, high cost and weren't able to capture the high margin, low volume or lower volume. 
Well, I, you know, I don't know if it was by design, but um, I, I mean, it's pretty common in the not in the interactive streaming world for voluntary agreements to be excluded. Mm -hmm. Um, Like for example, with uh, webcasting, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, um, you know, you can make a voluntary agreement. That's why Pandora has this deal with uh, Warner music group and also has a deal with uh, Merlin. Right. Uh, So because they're voluntary agreements, they, so there's been a history of, of excluding voluntary agreements, which kind of goes along with our capitalist system, right? Sure. Um, and but on the other hand, um, it should have been pretty obvious to anybody who was looking at it closely, and I know they all were. You know that um, there's going to be a, as long as there's voluntary agreements, which is an open question. How long that's going to go on now? Um, there will be a very narrow category of songs uh, that are subject to the or, or uh, serviced by the MLC. And and do those do those direct deals, Chris? Uh, if we think about the the indemnification that is effectively granted, you'll correct me if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, do do. Does that cut both ways? Are those direct licensors also uh, excluded from the the uh, the indemnification clause? Therefore, they are able to pursue legal action if it if it came to that. Well, there's a real question in my mind of um, I, I think that would depend on what the cause of action was. In other words, if the agreement. If there's a voluntary agreement that's in place and you breach the voluntary agreement. There's a question in my mind whether you can sue for statutory damages or whether you're just suing for breach of contract, which would be um, just recovery of, of um, otherwise required payments. Mm-hmm. So let's say a little bit about that indemnity so people kind of get the reason why that's relevant, right? By what I just said is relevant. So. One of the features of the MMA, which many people think is unconstitutional uh, and will be struck eventually, is um, what I call the reachback safe harbor. So um, the reachback safe harbor says that if you have not filed a lawsuit for copyright infringement um, against someone who takes the blanket license, as of January 1st, 2018, and for those reading along at home, yes, that's before the bill was signed, which is what raises the constitutional question. Right. Then you're not able to recover statutory damages or attorney's fees or get injunctive relief, uh, which have long been the big stick that every copyright owner, large and small, has been able to wield that got people in line. And you're and questioning you're questioning whether that also may apply to people who are parties to who are subject to direct deals? Well, I, I don't think it's that clear because it really only applies to um, unlicensed uses, right? So if you right. have a blanket license if you have a blanket voluntary license, then those uses theoretically would not be um, unlicensed, right? 
So it's unclear to me. It would, I think, it would depend on the a lot on the facts of the particular case, sure, um, as to exactly what, whether if any any voluntary licensee is giving up anything. But there's Got certainly it. an argument that it's just a breach of contract claim, in which case you could recover royalties, which is what the breachback safe harbor allows you to do. In other words, all you can do if there's an unlicensed use as of January 1st, 2018, um, that would otherwise be what lawyers call ripe. In other words, it's within the statute of limitations. You have a colorable claim of copyright infringement. You could have brought a lawsuit, but you just haven't yet. Then mm. it's, oops, too bad. You lose. You can only recover streaming royalties that start four decimal places to the right, you know? So that's not a very attractive thing to sue on. So it's effectively a safe Harbor. Got it. Now, the way this went down is important for people to understand, which is that, uh, the, the drafts of the MMA were, uh, kept very close to the vest by everybody who was involved in it. Uh, for a year or two, and if you if you um, well when when the when the when the bill was finally released and announced, it was announced on December twenty first, twenty seventeen, and that's right. That's nine days before the safe harbor. Right now, if you look at your calendar, you will see that something interesting happened on Jan on December twenty second. 2018, which is that the Congress went on Christmas vacation. So when the bill was announced, there was no public copy of the bill available unless you happen to know someone who sent you one, which I did, but um, not everyone was in that position. Uh, there wasn't a public copy of the bill announced or, or made available until mm, sometime in around the second week of January. In other words, after that January 1st date had passed. If you looked at all the public messaging that came from the sponsors of the bill and the organizations that were supporting the bill, there was not one word about this material deal point, in my mind, of giving up the, um, the uh, indemnification or, or giving up the right to sue for statutory damages and attorney's fees um, on behalf of every song ever written and that ever may be written. This would be the kind of thing that you would probably want to emphasize, right? Because it affects right. the rights of everyone, every songwriter in the world whose songs are exploited in the United States. So that right? sounds like a, a significant oversight or a... Well, let's just... I mean, is that... that, is that is that oversight or is it hustle? You know, the people who are our listeners are looking for what this means to them uh, in brass tacks and may not know, um, you know, sort of the deep in the weeds um, legal underpinnings. But we are very savvy. We want to know. Okay, what does this what does this mean? You know, if if we have a claim. Well, what it means is is if you were thinking about so, let's say. Let's say, for example, you were like, take Randall Wixon, for example, right? Mm -hmm. So when, when David Lowry sued Spotify and Melissa Farrick sued Spotify in the class actions, uh, there were a number of steps along that path, right? Um, and 
one of them included um, not part of that litigation, but separately the NMPA publisher settlement, which, depending on who you ask, uh, was for less money than and more songs than what were, was involved in the Lowry class action settlement, right? Uh, but be that as it may, whatever the number actually is, um, the um, someone like Wixon opted out of the NMPA settlement, said, I don't like this. It's not enough money, which is, you know, not an uncommon thing with those kinds of settlements. Sure. Um, and then he also opted out of the class action once the number was known because he said that that was also insufficient. He wanted to bring his own case. And then he found out about the um, reach back safe harbor in the MMA. Some people will tell you he found out about it from my blog. I don't know. He never told me. Hmm. Um, and he filed a lawsuit on December 29th, 2017, to preserve his rights. Um, that also happened to be the day that Spotify announced their, um, their uh, IPO, or as it was actually called, a DPO. Um, and, and so what ended up happening was that all the press that Spotify had lined up for their IPO also included Randall Wixon's $1.6 billion claim against Spotify, which was for statutory damages. Gotcha. Right? So that was sort of an unfortunate thing if you work at Spotify. So the, um, that was probably the last case, um, that, um, was involved here. Uh, or that's going to be involved here until this this provision is struck down, if it is. Um, and what you so what you had was you had um, the Lowry case, the Ferret case. There's four cases, I think, out of Nashville that are individual um, publishers, or uh, Blue Water and Bob Gaudio and a couple others. Um, the um, and then you had the Wixon case, right? And if you look at all these cases, although Wixon's slightly different because he was opting out, but if you look at the thing he was opting out of, all these cases had the same thing in common, which is that the people involved as plaintiffs tried, in some cases, very hard to um, uh, get, get Spotify to license their songs, discovered that their songs were being used without a license, and tried to get Spotify to license their songs, and they were substantially ignored, right? Um, so this was not, and it's a lot of songs, right? I mean, it's something like 20% of all the songs that are available on Spotify. Wow. So when you look at numbers like that, that's not an oops, right? Right. That's a policy. Right. Uh, and some people tried to blame the Harry Fox agency for this because it just so happens that the Harry Fox agency was doing the licensing in for Spotify uh, as part of their service group. But I really think that, you know, HFA was blamed unfairly on this because I've known those people for a long time and I just simply cannot believe that HFA would have said to Spotify, here's all the songs that you have unlicensed or pieces of songs you have unlicensed. Don't worry about it. Just use them anyway. I'm not buying that. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. I'm just not buying that. I would have to see the pictures and the video, you know, <laughs> to believe that. Well, and if we, if, I really if we, Chris, I mean, that's hugely, you know, uh, enlightening and, and, and also raises a whole bunch of open questions. If we zoom out a bit and we look at, 
blocking mm-hmm. this out over the next two plus years for our listeners. You know, we've talked about governance, um, regulatory governments, uh, governance rather, um, and that the milestone there is January of next year. Does 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 that then lead to answering many of these questions, closing many of these gaps? What what's sort of the next milestone after? No, that? not really. No, no, no. Uh, well. The next milestone, there's a couple of them. The next milestone after that is going to be, and it, it will, it, it's unclear as to exactly what sequence it would come in, but the, the big milestones are going to be uh, appointing the MLC, getting the budget, which is the corporate office's role, getting the budget for the MLC agreed to, which will be a private negotiation between the MLC and the DLC, uh, who and, and that's another appointment that would ha- that has to happen roughly. This, I think at the same time as the MLC appointment. So we're going to know who the DLC is and who the MLC. And those is, appointments, and those appointments co- coincide with or follow the the January uh, twenty nineteen. Prior, well, they will follow. Got it. You have to get your you have to get your nominations right. in, and your that starts the beauty contest gotcha. in gotcha. January, right? And then I I think they the copyright office has. Um, another well it's, i think they have 270 days from enactment and so that and then that's supposed to be uh that you get everything in 90 days from enactment so you're really looking at um uh nine months um to so to, to fill those months. roles if you yeah, will well, yeah. another another six months it. so so yeah so you're 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 coming up summertime before you're going to really know they, they have until then. They may do it before, gotcha. right? So that's kind of a moving target. Uh, it would behoove them to do it as soon as they can. And then presume, um, and, presuming and that what happens ha- summer next year, uh, what, what follows? Yeah. Then um, there's no reason to wait, but, you know, then you, the next step after that would be to have this negotiation over the budget. Um, you can't really have a negotiation until you know who the person is. So. That's why it would behoove the copyright office to just get this done very quickly. And and if, if what I think is going to happen happens, which is there's going to be one person filing for the MLC, uh, then that decision will be pretty easy because there won't be anybody else. Um, but and there will be one person file for the DLC too because all the I think those corporations already know who that person is going to be and they'll just put it in. Then after that, you have to negotiate the. The, what they call the assessment in the statute, which is the uh, budget, essentially, of the MLC. Um, and and also um, submit that to the copyright royalty judges. That needs to get approved by them. They have a certain period of time uh, to do that. Then you have a, a time to appeal after that. If it's, if it's all just rubber stamp, then it, it should be okay. But I would point out... Um, for any anybody listening who is a startup or who's an app or someone who is not at Amazon, you know, because you know who you are if you're there, um, and I'm sure you don't care about any of this. <laughs> uh, but um, if you're an app who's just starting out, understand that in order to get the blanket license, you are also theoretically at least, going to have to bear a part of that assessment. Uh, and that apportionment is going to be decided by the DLC. And if I, so if I hear you, Chris, so, if you're, a, if you're a, a would-be digital service provider, if you're a new streaming player, 
not only, of course, do you have to acquire the appropriate licenses, but you may have uh, you may have to pick up part of the tab as to the operating cost of the MLC. Is that is that did I hear you correctly? That's right. That so is that becomes a new right. cost and of doing business is to share in in the cost of operating the MLC. And and right. just and, and just to, are going to be make just to further clarify, if they make a direct deal, a new let's say you're a new streaming service and you're just opening up shop, if you make a direct deal with streaming providers, you don't have to bear that cost. Or is that if you make a if you're if you're an app and you're I mean here's what I would tell people and are am telling people if you're an app and you're just starting out and you don't want to have this question mark on your balance sheet because no VC in their right mind would give you money if there's an unknown cost that could be you know sure hundreds of thousands of dollars sure. if not more uh, and and by the way an allocation decision made by all the people who might ultimately be acquiring you and would have an interest in driving you as close to exhaustion as possible. Sure. Right. Because that being, never happens. Being Apple, Amazon. <laughs> yeah. Because they never acquire anybody who might compete with them. Right. They never do that. Um, so, you know, you, this is, this is your life. Right. So um, it could be that in the first year or two, they decide that that number is zero. You know that they'll just eat it. There's a great you know, spirit. That could happen. Yeah, that could happen. But um, it, it's a decision that has to get made as part of the assessment. So, in other words, don't just focus on the negotiated costs between the MLC and the DLC. There's an internal DLC negotiation that has to go on uh, for anybody who's choosing the blanket license, and that's sort of the key phrase there. Um, to uh, to eat their share of the allocation, and that's going to be decided by the DLC, and then that is also going to be affirmed by the um, copyright royalty judges. So if you fail to make that payment, you can lose your blanket license, even if you're caught up on all your royalty payments. Does that right. does that make competition? Does that prohibit competition? In other words, does that make it like very very difficult? for a new streamer to pop into the market because they have to go through all these new gatekeepers to figure out how they're going to do it? Uh, well, you know, it could, it, it, it could, it depends on what the mechanism is because don't forget the assessment is for um, a period of time, mm -hmm. right? So let's say it's for 12 months Yep. Uh, and they do this every 12 months or I, I don't remember off the top of my head if that's specified in the statute as to how long that assessment has to be, has to cover. But let's just say it's a year, mm -hmm. right? Uh, or even two years. If you, if you start during that period, in other words, if there's an assessment today that covers the next 12 months, then that allocation is made based on who's there when the assessment is determined. As far as I can tell, that that's how it would go. And then you would, you would pay up, based on your uh, use of the blanket license. Right. So um, if you come into the picture and you want the blanket license during that assessment period, I'm not quite sure how that would work, right? I mean, you could imagine a few different ways. Yeah. But someone's going to have to decide how much you pay. Right, but if, and the, when you have to if, pay. if the DLC has its own committee formed of the sort of Big Ten streamers 
that we see in the marketplace right now, if they're the gatekeepers to, to decide how much you as a new streamer pay in, I just wonder if that's going to end up being some sort of violation or some sort of conflict or prohibitive in, in some way. And we don't need to um, go deep in the weeds on that. It just, it, it, it hit my head yes, and sir, I thought it would be, would be important to uh, illuminate that at least, at least briefly. Well, and if we, if, if well, and the workaround, the workaround for that to me, uh, for people who are just starting out and you started to say this um, earlier, um, the workaround for that is that you as an app would go directly to a big publisher uh, and make a deal or several big publishers and make a deal for a set of songs. Cause one of the, one of the things you find with apps a lot is they'll come in and they'll think they have to license all the world's music. Right. 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 On day one. And they actually don't. Right. Um, and when you talk to them about what their needs are, they'll tell you, oh, well, you know, I need a thousand songs or I need 4,000 songs. I'm like, <laughs> you know, have you looked at the Sony catalog? You know, have you looked at the Universal catalog? Right. Do you think Warner, do you think possibly, maybe, just maybe they could meet your needs there <laughs> and you only have to do one contract or maybe, and then, you know, a few publishers? Of course. Rather than go out and sort of traipse through all these people in the great black hole of death. Is there a trademark following that phrase, Chris? <laughs> should we? Should we? Yeah. But you see what I mean? And in that way, you just don't deal with the whole blanket license yeah. thing at all. Well, let me, let me ask this. If, if we right. shift to you know, what I presume is the majority of our audience, which are songwriters, uh, artists, uh, publishers, et cetera. Right. So, so given these two major milestones, given the regulatory governance, given the, um, as you say, beauty pageant and appointment of these various roles by roughly middle of next year, followed by the budgeting process for for those, you know, working artists, writers that are out waiting for, you know, these things to, to become clearer over the next year, are there any specific steps or actions, Chris, that they should take or particular things they should be paying attention to, you know, as to how they, they operate their, their, their businesses and their, their, uh, their catalogs, et cetera? Well, I think the, the one thing that's going to be common for everyone is you're going to need to make sure that the MLC, uh, when it creates this new database, uh, has got your information in it, your song splits, your, it's essentially like signing up for ASCAP BMI. Now, we don't know yet exactly how this is all going to work. It's possible that they may do some import of some kind from ASCAP and BMI and CSAC. I would tend to doubt that's going to happen. Um, wow. right. But uh, maybe, you know, it could happen. There may be some efficient ways that they do it. They may get a direct feed from um, the big publishers, uh, even though they're not in the um, uh, necessarily uh, putting their songs through the blanket. Uh, there's a number of different ways it could be done, but whatever it is, when the dust settles, you're going to need to make sure that your songs are properly uh, registered with the MLC 
and that the splits are correct and that they have your payment information and current address. Now, the trick about that, unless I missed something uh, in, in, the, uh, uh, in the Cliff Notes version here, is that how to do that is as yet unknown. Yes, uh, I'm assuming they're going to have some process for it, but they're but you know given that um, the uh, formation and the creation of the global rights database uh, in the statute is given about I think maybe a hundred words, and it's a process wow. that has take that that people have been attempting to do and spent millions of dollars attempting to do. And and fail years and fail. Yeah, it, you would have appreciated more than a hundred words. So if we if we use the phrase thinking and bets, <laughs> the bet is that there's uh, some choppy waters ahead. Yeah. Well, and and also costs, right? I mean, see, here's here's the thing. I, I what what makes the MLC different than um, the um, than everything that's come before it, which is that the services are supposed to pick up the costs of the database. And, and all of the MLC's operations. Well, to me, that includes the costs incurred by the copyright owners who have to spend time making sure that their uh, works are properly listed in the database. I mean, that's a cost and it's directly related to the database and it's to improve the quality of the database. So, you know, why should someone who is a third party who's paid to do that get paid Right. And you as a publisher who still has to look over their shoulder and make sure they did it right, not get paid. So I would and particularly when it's been sold on the idea that it's going to reduce administration costs and therefore get, um, cause songwriters to make more money right away just on that basis alone. Right. Um, and I think that's a fair statement that it has been sold that way uh, to it songwriters. Has. I agree. I agree and, with that. And so if that's all true, then there shouldn't be any cost to registering or monitoring or checking on anything. And I guess what that means is that individual songwriters and publishers should just invoice the MLC uh, for the, the costs of, of uh, keeping up with their data. And uh, the MLC will just include that in the assessment. Interesting. Well, so it sounds but like there's I don't know how else that would get there. That, yeah. yeah, There's just nothing, but there's nothing... Just to be clear, that's the takeaway is stay tuned. Well, right, but there's none of that's in writing. That's that's supposition on our that, part. Yeah, there's that, there's well, no that, there's actually no right right, but there's no uh, there's no documentation to that, and nobody's no. mentioned that. And okay, there's no just authority to, just to clarify. For it. And, yeah. and, well, and, you know, and I'm saying that. I mean, yes. Let's let's be clear. I'm saying that somewhat smugly because I seriously right. seriously doubt that anybody in that chain is going to say, oh, yeah, you know, well, we told you this wouldn't cost you anything, and now it is. Agreed. Well, you know, sorry. I mean, that's right. probably how it's really going to go down. But, you know, right. we well, we, we, didn't, we didn't expect clean answers. And, I mean, let's face it, you know, shameless plug, the reason we started Penny Lane, among others, is to hopefully uh, contribute some clarity uh, to the process as it plays out. And it sounds like Chris will 
we'll need you back uh, at least quarterly. <laughs> at <Yeah>. least. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and as we enter the season of hope, let us be optimistic. <laughs> you know, fantastic. Well, sa- well fantastic. said. Fantastic. <laughs> I can't imagine a, a brighter note uh, to, to, to wind down on. But uh, let me ask uh, this, Chris. So given and really appreciate uh, you illuminating, you know, the, the next year, which I think is, is more than most can help uh, hope for rather in a, in a process this uh, this complex with this many moving parts. But if if we if we go full crystal ball, um, you know perhaps it's an unpopular opinion, perhaps it's it's mainstream. What is your what is your sort of thirty second uh, view to um, the net impact on the industry in two years? Let's say, what what do you expect to play out? Uh, fast forward two years, where are we as 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 a music industry? Um, well. I think that one thing we have to be mindful of is that um, as we switch to a streaming economy, we're talking about mm, trillions of transactions probably every quarter just getting bigger. I mean, it could literally be more than that, you know, in two years time. If, if, you know, if the whole world starts switching over to a streaming economy, right. Uh, and that will that is an already an unmanageable number, and um, it will be a, an even more unmanageable number. So what this is going to really require is um, what I would call true modernization. And when you look at the Music Modernization Act, um, there is really nothing very modern about it at all. It's all old concepts, you know, accounting, publishers, you know, registering. Um, getting paid, auditing, all these things. They're talking about doing annual audits. And remember, an audit is in, in the royalty world is not the same as an audit in the public company financial accounting world. An audit right. is really just shorthand for royalty compliance. In other words, did they pay what they were supposed to pay, which really requires doesn't require a CPA, although I noticed that they have a CPA requirement in the act, which of course has makes no sense <laughs> whatsoever uh, because you don't need a CPA to do this. As a matter of fact, no CPA is trained to do it, uh, but a, a, as part of their CPA examination. But the, um, uh, you know, what we're probably gonna end up with is a serious rethink about how we go about doing this. Because when you think about it, you're really going to be approaching visa level transaction numbers, with the exception that visa has a minimum per transaction fee, which will vastly exceed uh, the royalty that's being paid here. And, And these royalties, these transactions, unless they're grouped in some way, um, will um, never um, get to that am- that level that allows Visa to amortize um, the small against the big, mm-hmm. right? So you're going to need kind of a complete rethink, uh, I believe, of all uh, of the approach to royalty accounting and the fundamental general. infrastructure. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, right. because there's going to be so many transactions. Right. That uh, there's nothing there's 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 I mean, look, when you look at the average computing power of your average music publisher, 
even big music publisher, it's not able to take this on. And there's no reason right. why it should be. That's not a criticism. It's right. just that's way more than they ever need, right? Right. Well, and I think, you know, Matt and I certainly spend a lot of time thinking and, and having conversations with, with folks like it, including you, about this, which is this is a, a moment in time where um, Dare to Dream, the music business can step back and really, really investigate what it means to standardize, to uh, create data sharing standards, um, uh, system standards. Does that happen? How long will it take to happen? Who knows? But I think it is, it's easy to look at other industries that have gone through similar transitions and recognize that this is a moment in time to step back and do that. So I love that you laid that out as, as true modernization as opposed to um, perhaps an upgrade. Yeah, and when you consider that most of these systems at one point or another, you know, started out in Fox Pro, right? Mm -hmm. Still, uh, the, still. It, I don't so think, I don't even, yeah, I don't even really think an upgrade is really a word you can use. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Well, by, by that, I mean the legislation, but absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I understand. Well, I understand. But I'm just saying, it, it's so, this would be an excellent moment in time uh, to really get out of, and I agree with you that the, these siloed royalty systems uh, just don't work anymore. Right. You know, they just really don't work. It's not a question of the data, who's got the data. The system itself doesn't work. It's, right. it's just being overwhelmed. And, you know, a lot of these systems, when they first started, were designed for, for two purposes, really. They were, you know, um, on, the, on the record side, they were designed to take what was essentially a tape from a wholly owned distributor and populate royalty accounts with information from that tape that was 100% controlled by the, the record company, right? right? So it was all internal. And then on the song side, they, were, they rarely ever went out to more than four decimal places to the right, ever, right? So, you know, now you've got systems that potentially can't even recognize numbers that go out you know, eight, nine, ten decimal places to the right because they're so infinitesimally small. Absolutely. And who knows they, what they round to? They may I not mean, even really. be Y2K compliant for all we know. Well, right. this is yeah, it's funny you should say that. <laughs> that's it's the parallel. That because that's the parallel. Yeah. That really is the parallel. It's it's of that magnitude. Right. Is Y2K. Yeah, that's a really good example, actually, I think. Analog, well, actually. interesting times ahead, no doubt. Yeah. For hey, sure. Chris, we uh, just are uh, really grateful for this, but a terrific conversation. Before we wrap up, I want to make sure for our listeners, uh, what's the best place for them to find, follow, connect with you online? Uh, well, we have uh, the, the law firm website, Christian Castle, spelled just like it sounds, uh, .com, christiancastle.com. And um, we have, I, I have uh, an assortment of articles and other links up there so that's probably the easiest thing you got to. it we'll be sure that's in the show notes uh terrific well thanks again chris it's been great we'll look forward to having you back very soon thanks for listening to this episode of penny lane if you enjoyed it and we hope you did you can leave us a five-star rating and tell a friend to support more great conversations and episodes if you have feedback, suggestions, or just want to say hello, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach us on Twitter at TrueStreamCo, that's at T-R-U-S-T-R-E-A-M-C-O, or send email to podcast at TrueStream.co.